Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. I want parents to have hope. There really is a lot that can be done, especially with anxiety. We know how to treat anxiety. There's no reason to suffer without care. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 278. Today, we're talking about how to help kids face their fears with Dr. Ode Hennen. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad you are here. I'm so excited to dive into this episode, but first I just want to say hello to you. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend some time with me and my awesome guest. And I can tell you this is going to be a super valuable episode because in just a moment, we are going to be sitting down with Dr. Ode Hennen. She is co-founder and co-director of the Child Cognitive Behavior Program and clinical director of the Child Resiliency Program at the Department of Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and an assistant professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. She's got the goods on this subject. She specializes in the assessment and cognitive behavioral treatment, CBT is what we're going to talk about, of children with mood, autism, spectrum, disruptive behavior, and other anxiety disorders. So this episode is all about fears. As children get older, they begin to realize just how big the world is, and it can trigger fears and create anxiety. And so they're looking to us for reassurance and guidance and how can we give that best? This is going to be a really valuable episode for you. We're going to talk about helping children cope with stress, anxiety, and OCD, and how to help our children work towards facing their fears. And we're going to also talk about when to recognize when our children need additional support. So you're going to learn effective tools for dealing with difficult emotions, what anxiety looks like when it's expressed at different ages. And I know that you are going to get 
so much out of this episode. Before we do, I just want to give a shout out. Haven't done this in a while, but I want to give a shout out to Kimberly for her five-star review on Apple Podcasts. She said it's the best podcast and she was just so kind and exuberant. I just really appreciate that, Kimberly. And she said that I don't listen to every episode of other podcasts I subscribe to, but I never miss an episode of this one. And I'm constantly sharing episodes with others when they have a question on something. There is an episode for that. <laughs> so cool. That makes me smile. You have no idea. So thank you so much, Kimberly. I appreciate your five-star review. It means a lot to me and it helps the podcast get to more ears. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want you to dive into understanding how to help children take care of their fears. So let's dive into this episode with Dr. Ode Hennen. Ode, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, Actually, is it okay if I, I didn't, I, I calling you Ode, but do you want me to call you Dr. Hennen? Ode is perfectly fine. <laughs> and thank you for having me on. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you. I think that, you know, you can help us with so many different ailments that are kind of happening in this, in this time. Um, but I obviously anxiety is such a huge anxiety and stress is such a huge thing that's that's going on right now and um the the listener may not know this yet but i like i i was just sharing with you my my own daughter my 14 year old got diagnosed positive for covid she's asymptomatic she's the most careful out of all of us and she, we think she might have happened in a swim practice but anyway there's no like, <laughs> there's no like health things, but it's hard. It's like yeah. scary and anxious. And that first night, no one slept really well. Um, there's a lot of stuff. Go I mean, then this is yeah. just me and that's pretty like a minor thing. I know there's so much more going on for so many people, but like, maybe you could talk to us, start us off a little bit by like, what, what are you seeing what's happening for, for kids and, and teens and as far as anxiety that since, yeah. since the pandemic? So as you're saying, anxiety really has been at the forefront of kids' experiences um, you know, since the beginning. I, I think the amount of uncertainty, of unpredictability, of change has been so hard for everyone, but especially kids and teens. Uh, and it's hard because we as the adults don't have many, if any, of the answers. Uh, and so we're all kind of muddling through as best we can. But for, for kids, it has been very, very stressful. Um, and we've seen, I, I think, the anxiety and the experiences have shifted over time. So I think initially uh, there was so much fear about the virus itself and um, and what that meant and what was going to happen. And, um, and then we've seen over time additional worries about family members who have had to go back to work who are um, on the front lines and their health, worries about uh, finances um, and parental unemployment, worries about school, worries about friends. Uh, so it just sort of keeps, uh, keeps adding up. Um, and I, I think what we're also starting to see, unfortunately, a lot of is a lot of depression, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of withdrawal. Um, we're starting to see increased suicide rates and um, mm -hmm. suicide attempts. Um, it's been a very long year. And I think people's resiliency is starting to get stretched pretty thin, unfortunately. Yeah, even in even in my own family with a, a, you know, my 14 year old, I consider her a really resilient kid. You know, she has a lot of resources. She's pretty grounded, but she'd been a little, definitely a little depressed, like over the winter. And now I don't, I don't know. I can only at the moment <laughs> we're in quarantine. I can only FaceTime her from downstairs yeah. while she's upstairs. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on with her, but I imagine, I think she's, I'm, I'm, from what I understand from our conversation, 12 feet away from each other in the woods that we had the other day <laughs> outside of our house, it, it, it's, it's, she's pretty depressed. And that's, yeah. that's, you know, that this is like in a, a, a pretty well-resourced yeah. household. So yeah. if you're having all these other challenges, yeah, it's gotta be an, an, 
an enormous, I mean, there's going to be a kind of like a, a tidal wave of effects, I imagine, from this collectively. It, I absolutely. And I, I, I think we're going to see the effects even when things get back to quote unquote normal. I think mm -hmm. those effects will also persist, right? Mm -hmm. So these aren't light switches uh, of emotion that you turn off and on. Um, so I think it's going to take a while for for kids and teens and young adults to to rebound. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and even the even the return to school or return to a more typical function, I think is also very anxiety provoking. Yeah. It's another big change. And even though it's positive, I, we're hearing a lot of kids express a lot of anxiety and stress around what that's going to look like, what that's going to mean, how they're going to adjust to this new schedule yet again. Uh, so I, I think the stress is not quite over yet. <laughs> Yeah. Like that was one of the big reasons. That was the reason we wanted her tested was like, so she could go back to school for her mental health. It's yeah. so like ironic, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. oh my God. And that was the only reason we caught the positive th diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. So that, that is a, that's a big transition too. Um, what, you know, for kids who are, I mean, for younger kids, I mean, I'm curious about how we can kind of spot when kids are having anxiety and, and you may need to answer this versus like for younger kids versus older kids. Cause I guess what I'm personally seeing now in my older kids now is that like, you know, they are immersing themselves in this, like, like lots of Minecraft and, and things like that, that which maybe is withdrawal. I'm not sure. So um, talk to us a little bit about what are some of the like signs that we're seeing um, issues and things come up around this. Yeah, so so you're absolutely right that the age of the child, the develop the their developmental level makes a big difference in how they express it. And there's also a lot of individual differences. And you know, a certain amount of anxiety and disheartenment is completely normal. Uh, I think we're all experiencing yeah. a fair amount of that. Yeah. Um, and for younger kids, they because they lack the the language to express. Uh, some of their fears or, or, or worries, they may exhibit it more behaviorally. So for some kids, we're seeing um, that they're more clingy or whiny, um, that old fears that have gotten better may be coming back, um, that they may be anxious to be away from parents or afraid of the dark um, or having trouble sleeping on their own. Um, they may be regressing in behaviors like toileting or thumb sucking. Um, you know, they may have tantrums and kind of act out a little bit more. Uh, and then for older kids, some kids are, are really able to express what's on their mind and they'll, they'll share what their worries and fears and concerns are. But some older kids too, just sort of try to, as you're saying, shut things out and distract themselves and not think, not feel. Um, and for a lot of kids that's uh, using technology, um, social media, uh, TV, because there's not a whole lot else available, honestly, to them. Um, I think you know, for even older teens, some of them might be experimenting with substances more or um, you know, trying other ways to not feel the negative feelings that they're having. Um, and, and so I think it's really making sure that we check in with kids regularly because often mm -hmm. kids may not initiate those conversations. It's kind of hard for them. Um, so making sure that, we, you know, that we're there and that we're checking in and asking how they're doing asking what's on their mind, asking, you know, what they're, if there's anything that's causing them stress. Um, mm -hmm. And would you, those. would the lang, would that be the language you use? You know, is there anything that's causing you stress? Like maybe that, that might work for my 11 year old, but I mean, like I see all those like comforting, distracting behaviors. You know, I see those, my, my 11 year old walks around the house with headphones permanently glued yeah. to her head, listening to Harry Potter or wings of fire. So <laughs> right. it's like d distracting. Um, okay. Right. <laughs> and again, that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's like comforting, and, right? It's comforting I mean, and we all need something and, yeah, yeah. um, you know, any, we always say that any coping strategy is fine. It's if it's getting overused, right. Mm. When people have only their one go-to strategy that they use all the time, it gets a little bit less helpful. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes you try to diversify a little bit, um, making sure that they're still sometimes going outside or, uh, you know, connecting with friends or, um, connecting with family or doing an activity that isn't, um, involving the phone or, or uh, some other screen. Um, and I, I think you can, um, you can offer it to kids and they may not take you up on it, mm -hmm. but 
just knowing that you're there and paying attention to signs that they are in a place to talk and trying to capitalize on that is a really good thing to do. Um, you know, sometimes kids will just like, no, I'm fine, I'm good. You know, the one word answers that kind of say, I'm not kind of in that space. But then other times, for example, if you're riding in the car together, that's often a good place where kids will talk or, you know, at, you know, at bedtime, if you're just kind of you know, snuggling or reading together, those are times where they might open up a little bit and just, mm -hmm. just listening mm -hmm. and allowing them to talk and not jumping into, well, have you thought about doing this? Or have you talked th mm -hmm. talk to this person? Or have you thought about this or that? And just allowing them to express and just reflecting back can really allow them to open up so you can get a sense of what's on their minds. Um, and that can even sometimes be a habit that then kids, if it's a positive experience, might be more likely to do that again. So my husband's had hair thinning issues for years, for a long time. It's not something he'd love to have, and he's done some things for it. But recently started using Nutrafol, and oh my gosh, we have actually seen quite a difference. Did you know that for women, hair thinning happens in approximately one in two women? And if you're among them, I want you to know that you're definitely not alone. It's normal, but it's not openly talked about and going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. But you can join over one million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding, like my honey. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supplements support healthy hair growth from within by targeting root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism as they evolve throughout a woman's life. And while many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol's women's hair growth supplement for six months. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription required, free shipping, and automated deliveries to ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code MINDFULPARENTING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code MINDFULPARENTING. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Mindful Parenting. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious about like, you know, we've we've talked about anxiety in a couple of different ways here. Mm -hmm. And like we we as parents worry that our kids might be worrying, right? Yeah. And so we want to help them, but then we may you know, it can it be that parents um, kind of exacerbate a problem by like making their kids think I have a terrible problem by offering all this like help? You know what I mean? Like there's a, a line there, right? Like we want to be listened, we want to be present, but and and we do want we want to have our kids to have coping skills, but is there a line where it's like 
Um, I keep offering you all this coping skills. Mom keeps offering me all these coping skills. There must be something terribly wrong with me, you know? So tell me a little bit about that. (laughs) No, I I think that's a fair point. And I don't think you want to be micromanaging. If you keep asking a kid, are you sure you're okay? I don't know. Are you sure? Are you sure Then kids will start to wonder? Maybe I'm not. Um, So I I, I think of it more as a casual conversation uh, rather than a probing interrogation. Um, (laughs) And if, and, and some kids really are fine. You know, I don't, I don't assume that all kids are suffering or struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I'm also cautious about offering too much advice and too many coping skills. I think kids are getting a little bit tired of being taught how to cope all the time. (laughs) (laughs) That might be true. Yeah. That's probably a danger. Like myself and my listeners are in, in danger of like offering. That's what I keep, I was thinking of like offering too much, you know, too many strategies and things like that. I I think the key is to, to be frequently reading the child and, and recognizing who your kid is and what tends to work for them. You know, if they have never, been interested or wanted to do uh, a, a peaceful meditation, that's okay, right? They don't have to do that. And I think the more we try to push it on them and make them, the more resistant they become, but maybe there are other ways that they meditate or are mindful that works for them. You can be mindful playing basketball. You can be yeah. mindful listening to music. You can jump on a trampoline. So there's, I think, really knowing who your kid is and making sure that whatever tools we suggest or encourage really fits them, uh, I think is really important. I think this is all pointing back to parents' own coping with their own anxieties, right? Rather, because what, when, if we're offering 10 bazillion tools to our kids, it's obviously, it's not about our kids' anxiety there. It's really our own anxiety that we have to practice taking care of our own feelings so that we can just be more just accepting of our children for who they are. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the really hard things about this pandemic is we are all in it together. It's not that the kids are experiencing something like middle school, which we can remember, but are not in the throes of and can help with. We're all muddling through our own stress, anxiety, and difficulty at the same time. And your point is also important that kids pay attention to what we do more than what we say. And I think we've all been humbled that you know, we're telling our kids not to be on screens, but we're on our phones 24 seven, you know, as well. And so um, modeling other ways of coping and having it be um, kind of in the water as opposed to um, talked about is helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, cool. So we wanna look for, in younger kids, we wanna look for who lack language. We wanna look for regression. Um, and maybe behaviors. Yeah. Uh, and then for older kids, we're looking for, uh, we're, 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 we're trying to be there to just listen and to kind of be a sounding board and be, and just be in tune with what's going on. So that requires us putting down our phones and yes. <laughs> looking and listening and being attentive, being present to kind of what's going on, you know? Okay. So if we, if we, how how do we know if it's a a mental health issue that a kid needs help from from somebody professional? That's a really good question. Um, so in general, we think about um, a, a, an emotion or a, a behavior as being um, more concerning if it is persistent, uh, if it is really intense and distressing or if it's interfering in the child's life. So if it's keeping them from doing things that they need to do or want to do, um, then we might uh, consider uh, and recommend professional help. Um, At the same time, I also think that we often wait too long. Um, So, you know, many of my colleagues say that only in the field of psychology and psychiatry do we wait until things are terrible to treat. So in cardiology, you would never say, well, you know, you have high cholesterol and there's some blockage and, uh, you know, some arteries, but when you have your first heart attack, that's when you should come see me. (laughs) And in psychiatry, we say, well, you know, you're really struggling, but you're still going to school and you seem really unhappy, but you're not expressing suicidal thoughts. So, you know, we're just going to kind of wait. So, so not that I think that everybody should be in therapy or in treatment, but I, I just think sometimes we, um, 
it would be easier and, and maybe more beneficial to intervene earlier, mm-hmm. uh, even if things are low level. Um, mm-hmm. It's easier to work with an anxiety that is newer or that isn't severely interfering as opposed to waiting till it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's lots that can be done at every level, um, even by parents to, to support their kids um, when they're experiencing these things. I appreciate that point of view. I think that's that can be helpful for parents to say, oh, okay. And if we're saying, well, we could get help, even though this isn't such a huge, big problem, we're normalizing getting help in our lives too, right? So yeah, so that has exactly. an added benefit. Um, okay, so then what, what are things that parents can do to help their kids cope? Now, understanding that we don't want to go overboard with our overboard. coping yeah. offers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, and, and, and it's a good question. It's a really good question, right? So, and, and, and knowing what you can do is helpful. And, yeah. and, you know, but also knowing that kids will come to it and accept it when they're ready and not a second before, that's also helpful to know. Um, so, so there's some of the basics and I, I'm sure everyone is saying this and I, I, but the older I get, the more I really appreciate that some of the tried and true, you know, everything that your grandmother ever told you you needed to do um, are actually really important. So we know that getting good sleep is critical. Um, and good sleep isn't just the amount of sleep, um, but also the timing. So the more regular schedules can be, and I know I have a almost 15 year old, so I, I know that that <laughs> sometimes feels almost impossible. Um, and making sure that the quality of sleep is good, um, getting outside, getting sunlight, um, getting physical exercise regularly, uh, having meaningful uh, or important things to do. Uh, is really key to mental health. So things that the child cares about, things that they're invested in, things that make them feel good about themselves, um, social connection, you know, all of these kind of basic things on which mental health is built have to be in place uh, or else none of our interventions really will be all that effective. Um, and then I think beyond that, uh, it, and in an individual way, so again, recognizing who the child is, thinking about what are skills that they can use to manage difficult situations. So it is important for kids to have challenges, to to have the opportunity to flex a little bit their coping uh, skills. Now we're getting that in spades right now, so I don't feel like we need to (laughs) add any more. And not to be overwhelmed by that, but to really have opportunities to practice things like problem solving, right? Mm -hmm. When a situation comes up, how can you think through different ways of addressing it um, and evaluate those solutions and then come up with a plan. I love this so much because in mindful parenting, we teach uh, win-win problem solving method. And I always ask every member to start with a positive problem, like what are we going to do this weekend or where are we going? And then and we go through a process yeah. to involve kids in the problem solving. And what's yes. beautiful about that is that kids learn this skill, right? That they need for their life. And so we can do that with a positive problem. Like, what are we going to do? And we can also, if we're in the habit of that, we can do that with challenging problems. Like, oh, like we've been all feeling anxious and depressed yeah. recently because it's like gray and about to snow five inches and we're stuck in the house because we're quarantined for 10 days <laughs> for example for example not to not to get too specific here <laughs> i i think what you're saying is so important and i love the idea of bringing kids into the problem solving even at a young age yes uh, i think as adults sometimes we tend to do it for them and and that's where we become solution generating machines um but that is much less helpful than having kids involved in thinking through obviously in an age-appropriate way yeah um thinking through what to do and involving them in a genuine way in generating solutions. Um, I think that's excellent. And I love the idea of a positive problem uh, as a starting point. All right. So sleep outside, sunlight, meaningful, important things to do. I know it's so funny because an exercise, you know, it's so funny because I've been thinking about those recently and it's like, oh, it's like cold and raining in my quarantine teen is stuck in her room. I'm like, honey, I'm yelling through the door. Do the seven minute work. 
<laughs> so, so to be fair, I think a lot of what I'm saying is probably harder to do when you're in full quarantine. Yes, yes, sure. yes. Let's not assume we're might... all in full quarantine. Yeah, I, I, I think yes. we might need to give quarantine a bit of a break. Um, <laughs> but outside of those 14 days, hopefully uh, yeah. implementing some of these things. Yeah. Um, and, and then learning how to tolerate, well, first identify and tolerate negative emotions. Uh, and, and this is where some of the mindfulness and acceptance mm-hmm. uh, and emotion regulation skills that sometimes there's nothing you can do about a situation. And so then all you can do is help yourself kind of survive it, get through it um, and tolerate it as best as you can. And I think those are also key skills that Um, that kids can and and need to learn. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Yes, definitely. And and you um, you teach, um, you specialize in cognitive behavioral treatment, you know, CBT. I've heard, definitely heard a lot about that kind of, and it's branch off ACT uh, acceptance and commitment, commitment therapy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell us, tell us about that. And that, and that involves learning to tolerate and accept our difficult feelings, right? Yep. So, right. As you're saying, cognitive behavioral therapy is a set of different interventions, um, that share some common features and also have some differences. Uh, and it's, it's a talk therapy, but the goal is to help uh, people, including kids learn tools to manage difficult emotions and to, you know, to be able to work towards their goals, whatever those may be. Um, And the idea behind CBT is that you can break down things like anxiety into different parts. Like you can't just not be anxious if you're anxious, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't work, but um, anxiety involves body reactions. So there's the kind of fight or flight response that we all have when we're anxious. Um, There are specific thought patterns that go along with anxiety, uh, catastrophizing thoughts or what the what ifs, um, uh, for example. And then there are behaviors that go with anxiety. So um, when someone is anxious, they often try to avoid the situation that causes anxiety, which is a very reasonable thing to do, except that what we know is that the more people avoid, the more anxious they feel in those mm. situations. And that's a lot of where the interference comes in in that you have to keep avoiding more and more. Uh, and that then will prevent you from not only mastering the anxiety, but also from doing things that you need to or want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so CBT addresses each of those component parts in treatment. And we work with kids or teens um, in sessions on these things and then have them practice the skills at home as well. Okay, cool. So I, I love that, that, you know, that's, 
mindfulness, right? Like what are these body reactions? What are these thought patterns, right? How can I see and clearly what is really happening? I'm having sensations in my body. I'm having these thoughts. I'm recognizing these thoughts. I'm seeing these behaviors. So that's all very, very clear thinking, a clear seeing kind of stuff. And, and I imagine with kids, you might help them kind of scaffold, a little bit, like start with something easy. Cause I'm, I'm, yes. I guess an example I think of this is like, like I think of my, my daughter wanted to get something, my younger daughter wanted to get something nice for my older daughter. And I said, well, you know, I said, we can walk to the convenience store. That's a mile away. Like we'll walk there together. You can go buy something. And my kids have this, and this is probably a very generational thing, have this like anxiety around just going into a convenience store and buying something, yeah. which to my mind is ridiculous. Cause like when I was seven, I was in the store buying gum, like a few blocks right. from my house that I had walked to by myself and they're 11, 14, you know? So it's like, but it's like a whole different generation. It's a yeah. whole, it's a whole different. new world. I know. Yeah. I understand that, but I want them to be able to walk into a store, you know? So, I mean, not that this is the anxiety that all kids are having, but just kind of thinking of an ex- as an example, you might mm-hmm. scaffold by, Right. I mean, tell, talk to me a little about this ode. <laughs> no, and, and you're thinking, you, yeah, you're, you're, you're right on the money with that. So um, with kids, but even with anyone, if you, if you think about the ultimate goal, right? So if the mm-hmm. ultimate goal is to be able to go into a store by themselves and um, order something or buy something, we always sort of say, think about where you are now and mm-hmm. think about steps to get to that ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Um, because what we want to do is help kids feel successful. Um, we want them to not get so overwhelmed that they can't do it and then avoid more because that's not going to help with anxiety. Um, and so thinking about, well, what, what's one step that, mm-hmm. um, the child could do. So maybe it's, um, going in with, with you and standing next to you while you buy something or the next time, you know, and once they get comfortable with that, then maybe the next step would be you do the talking, but they hand the money mm-hmm. to the cashier. Um, and then maybe the next step is that they would do it, but you're right next to them um, and they're not on their own and so on. And, and you can really work with kids to create this kind of um, structure, these steps uh, so that they can eventually get to the end goal. And that's a lot of what we do in treatment. Um, and it, we want it to be collaborative. We want kids to feel empowered. We don't want them to feel that we're forcing them or manipulating them or tricking them. We mm-hmm. want them to walk out saying, hey, I did it. That's awesome. It was a little hard, but I can do this. So what are some goals that kids who are suffering with anxiety bring into treatment that they're wanting to achieve? A lot of kids are maybe surprisingly motivated to feel better and to do things. And that's when we're doing our initial evaluation. That's what we're really trying to see. What, what is it that they want? What's the motivator for them? What, what would be different in their lives if they weren't feeling so anxious or so depressed. Um, And we really want to use that to guide treatment. And Mm -hmm. so the particular goals might depend on um, the the nature of the anxiety or or how it's being expressed. So for some kids, uh, if they're very socially anxious and they find it very hard to interact with kids or adults that they don't know well, they might you know, want to be able to approach unfamiliar kids and talk to them or go to a party. Not that we're doing that these days, but eventually. Um, Or, uh, you know, some kids are really anxious about being away from their parents and they want to be able to stay home alone um, or uh, be able to go out without being very anxious. Um, So so it really depends. But the, the model of structuring it in a gradual, systematic way is really the same, regardless of the specific nature of the anxiety. So like a parent who maybe has a younger kid who is regressing and is now having trouble going back to sleep, yeah. kind of from what I'm hearing from you, Ode, is that what a parent might do then is say, well, you know, I have a need for you to go to sleep on your own yeah. because yeah. I want to have an hour or two at the end of the night by myself and this, with my partner. This is important to me. You know, you would, you'd like to, how can we get there? And you might say, okay, you know, maybe, you know, I'll sit with you for five minutes and hold your hand and then I'll leave for three minutes and then I'll come and check on you or something like that. We start to, we start to think about what are those baby steps, but I probably like, we're, we're just kind of, I imagine it's like, we're really trying to like, not 
pathologize. Like, this is like, yeah. okay, this is what it is. And we're just coming in and saying, okay, how can I, yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. So the, the nice thing about this is that this is something that works for everyone. And this is something that we all have to do. Everyone yeah. is afraid of something or gets nervous in some situations. And the idea that gradually facing your fear is what makes it better is universal. Mm. Um, and so this is actually, I, I think, one of the greatest skills we can teach kids. I always sort of say one of my favorite quotes is feel the fear and do it anyways. Mm. And it's something I try to practice in my own life, which is hard sometimes. And I really try to encourage. It is a natural reaction to want to avoid situations that make us feel anxious and uncomfortable. That is, there's no pathology in that. And having the skill to gradually override that so that you can do things that are scary, that's really cool and really important. Um, and so teaching that to kids is, I think, wonderful across the board. Um, and you're right. So when we're working on something like sleeping in your own bed or whatever it is, really involving the child and thinking about it in terms of um, being brave. We talk a lot about that. And being brave doesn't mean that you're not scared. It means that you're scared, but you're going to push yourself to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think it's a really non-pathologizing way to to address the anxiety and build a sense of competence and confidence. I, I think for myself, I get the, as like the super independent kid, like I was a child who was like super independent. Like my parents were never home. And I was like walking around my town as a kid doing all kinds of things. <laughs> I, and I imagine a lot, a lot of parents can get frustrated sometimes with their, a kid's, fear and reluctance to, to kind of do certain tasks, you know, or, mm -hmm. or to maybe afraid to take that, that step. And so when that situation is happening, what do you advise for, for the parents and for the kids? Yeah. So that it is very common for parents to be frustrated. And especially <laughs> when sometimes these things are affecting everyone's life. Yeah. Um, it's making it hard for the family to function. Or as you're saying, if parents aren't able to sleep uh, or uh, engage in other activities because they have to stay with their child all night, um, that, that takes a toll on everyone. Um, but it is important to stay calm and not get angry because that's as much as possible. That's not going to be helpful to the child. And, and the idea is that kids are really doing the best that they can um, they're not being willful. They aren't happy with the situation either. Um, they're just stuck. And mm -hmm. so we want to help unstick them and mm -hmm. getting angry and frustrated, frustrated, isn't going to unstick them. Um, and so the question is, well, what can the child do? If they can't do what we're asking them to do, it probably means it's too hard, mm -hmm. but what can they do? I always sort of say the only option that's not on the table is doing nothing. That's the only one I, I kind of refuse to. Beyond that, I'm willing to think about anything that will help get us to the goal. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, um, one, one way that we sometimes think about that be helpful is, is in terms of level of anxiety. So very few of us will do things that are an eight, a nine, or a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but something that's a 10 out of 10, I stay as far away from as possible. And if I do it once, <laughs> I don't do it again. I learned my lesson with the trap. I am not petting any spiders. <laughs> Correct. Right. You know, I, I, um, yep. I had visions of myself flying through the air on a trapeze and it turns out when I got up there, I'm really scared of that. And, uh, yeah, that's not something I'm ever doing again. Let's just be clear. <laughs> it was a little embarrassing, um, when they have to lower you down slowly as you scream, oh, it's no. not particularly, um, appealing. I can so feel you though. I think we have more anxieties about those as things as we get older. Like, and I did a, I did a, just a little digression. I did a, I did a, uh, a ropes, like high in the trees ropes course with my older daughter. When she turned 10, she's like, Oh, I can do it with you. If you go with me. And I'm like, I'm the brave one. Sure. Here we go, honey. And I had to like clip her into these 50 foot trees. And then there was a part where we swung like on a trapeze, like into like a net and no one else was doing it, but I was like, ah! <laughs> like screaming bloody murder. <laughs> it was like, I didn't know how afraid I was going to be of that. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> you know, it's probably a good thing to be afraid of falling from high places through the air, hoping yeah. that this little clip is going to save you. I, I have a healthy respect for that. Um, and, and so so I think we can relate to that because that's yeah. sometimes what seems like a minor uh, unreasonable fear to us is actually that level of fear for the child. Yeah. And so knowing that none of us are really particularly pleased with having to do those things. And if someone tried to force me to do it, I'd probably get kind of mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you'd be really that's... defensive. Yeah. Oh, it's so helpful to like put it into a fear we can relate to. Yeah. It, and we call it the fight or flight for a reason. We always forget about the fight part, but kids can get pretty angry and oppositional if we push them because that's, that's what we're designed to do. Mm. So rather than push it to an extreme where the child is going to be overwhelmed, have it be such a negative experience, they're unlikely to do it again. We want to think about shooting for range, especially at the beginning, uh, along the lines of like a three out of 10. Mm. Right? So how can we make this situation a three out of 10, or maybe like at most a five out of 10, because three or five out of 10 is unpleasant, but mm -hmm. you can tolerate it and you mm. might be willing to do it again. And so really working with your child to think about and have them tell you, well, this would be a a three, this would be a five, this would be a seven, that will help guide you as a parent in terms of where to push and where to back off. Mm. So again, we don't want to be at a zero. We don't want to sort of support complete avoidance and, and not encourage them, but we also don't want to push them so hard that they can't do it. And really kind of shooting for that middle ground, um, especially early on, I think is probably the most helpful way to think of it. Hmm. I think that's a very, a very helpful way of thinking of it. I really, I really appreciate that. Now, if, if a parent's saying, okay, I've, I've offered my kids many coping skills and, and I'm worried about my child. I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, I think for a lot of us, if we're not um, involved in that world, how does a parent like go about finding uh, a good, someone good for their parent, their child to talk to? I mean, and if they're saying like, oh, this CBT sounds amazing. How do they go? How do they find, I mean, this is probably a simple answer, but I, I think it's a question many of us have maybe. No, it's a very, it's a very important question. And I wish it were a simple answer, but especially right now, it's an incredibly difficult answer because uh, the need for child mental health care is far outpacing availability. Mm -hmm. And so I know many parents are really frustrated because their child is in severe distress and they're not able to get in to see anyone for months. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a lifetime for a child. Um, so I often say the first place to start is with your pediatrician. So if mm. you have concerns, uh, even minor ones, talk to your pediatrician. Many of them um, do have uh, connections with providers, psychologists, social workers um, who can offer some guidance or care. Um, they can also, some of them also also get training in um, behavioral health and can offer some, um, some interventions. Uh, talk to your child's school, partner with them. So really using the resources in the community and the supports that already are available um, to, to not feel like you're having to do this all by yourself or on your own. Mm -hmm. uh, for more uh, minor concerns, there are a lot of excellent books out there around how to support your child with anxiety. Um, and I'm happy to offer those references. Uh, there are some really- Sure, uh, do you wanna offer a title or two here? Um, right yeah, here? so uh, Ron Rapay's book, um, help, I think it's called Helping Your Anxious Child is an excellent one. Uh, and Tamar Chansky um, also has uh, a number of excellent books around anxiety and OCD that, um, that are well-established. Uh, so those are great resources. Um, we'll try to get those into the show notes, dear listener. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to provide the full reference in writing if that helps. Um, and then there's some great organizations that uh, have websites that are useful. Uh, so ADAA, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America is fantastic. And they have a number of resources uh, for parents and, and uh, kids. Um, uh, or if OCD is an issue, the IOCDF. Uh, so the International OCD Foundation is another excellent resource. What um, are some signs of that? I mean, we all think of the like obsessive hand washing, I think, but what are some signs of that? Of OCD? So all kids have little rituals or routines and those are very normal. But again, when they become uh, excessive, so when they take a lot of time in the day, more than an hour, 
or when the child is extremely distressed uh, by them or if they can't do the ritual or if the rituals are getting in the way of the child's functioning, then we consider those a problem. Uh, and you mentioned hand washing, but often, especially with kids, those aren't the kinds of symptoms okay. that you see. Mm -hmm. um, kids may have things such as symmetry. So needing to tap something with the other side of their body if they've tapped it with one side, um, or they may need to do things again and again, a certain number of times until it feels right. May have special numbers that um, either are really bad or really good. So, for example, they may have to avoid the number three, um, but only have to do things four times. Um, mm. They may have a lot of um, rewriting or rereading. So, needing to erase, for example, and rewrite until things are perfect or just so. Um, they may have. Um, touching rituals where they have to touch things a certain way. So, so when we're thinking about OCD, it's really a pretty broad spectrum of, of potential behaviors, not just hand washing. And I think as we kind of wrap this up, I, I guess I would ask like kind of what are your kind of final words for parents? Because I can imagine there would be a lot of, if we're seeing anxiety in our kids, if we're seeing our kids suffering, we're seeing OCD behaviors. A lot of parents do, we do a lot of self-blame. What did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? What, how, how, you know, these other parents, their kids are fine. My, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? What did I do wrong? As a parent, it's such a natural thing to look in words and feel guilty and blame ourselves. I think that kind of comes with the territory of being a parent, but it really, it's not about what you did. It's also hard to remember, but 50% of people by the time they reach 25 will have had or have a serious mental health condition. So it's really not unusual. I, I think we act or think that this only happens to a few people, but it's really very common. And I want parents to have hope. There really is a lot that can be done, especially with anxiety. We know how to treat anxiety. There's no reason to suffer without care. Uh, and everyone is just doing the best that they can as parents. There's no guidebook. No one, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is so counterintuitive uh, and not part of how we think about parenting that it, it, is, not, it is not your fault. You did not do this. Um, and, but there is a lot that you can do to help your child. And I really want parents to be left with a sense of hope and, and promise and not despair. I really appreciate that, Ode. I think that's, yeah, I love just the, I love that, like, you know, we, we know how to deal with this. We, we, there's help for your kid. Like it, it maybe you have to do some digging and some reaching, but this is figure outable. This yeah. is treatable. We can have happy, healthy kids on the other side of this. It may be hard now, but we can we can make progress and and make things better. Absolutely. Yeah. We want to take the long view. And I really think a lot of kids, even with this pandemic, will be okay in the long run. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it'll give them a lot more resilience ultimately. I'm just kind of crossing my fingers around that one. <laughs> or at least some great stories to tell. And you know, they'll be able to mm -hmm. tell their grandkids that they were in the pandemic of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> they'll the be like books. these old people saying, when I was in the pandemic of 2020, I couldn't even go to school. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, well, I really appreciate uh, your time. Thank you so much for, for coming and sharing your expertise and your wisdom with us. I think it's incredibly helpful. Uh, where can people find out more about you and the work you do? Um, absolutely. And thank you for having me on. I so appreciate your focusing on this and giving me the opportunity to, to share some of this with your audience. Um, so I am at Massachusetts General Hospital in the Department of Psychiatry. Yeah, you can look uh, for us uh, for our website. Uh, it's the MGH Child CBT program. Uh, and um, I feel like I'm all over the net right now in various ways. So if you look me up, it's an unusual name, so it's not hard to find. Yes. Ode. A-U-D-E. I love that. 
<laughs> Great. Well, thank you again so much. It's been a real pleasure and I'm so glad that we can share this information and get it out to more ears. So dear listener, if you know somebody that this can help, please, please do share it. Thank you so much, Ode. Appreciate it. What a great episode, right? So useful. I really appreciate Ode's you know, expertise and help. It's, it's just so valuable. You know, this like, learning how to take care of difficult feelings. We talk about this. It's a big part of what we do in the mindful parenting method. And it's so important. It's just something we weren't taught, right? So now we're teaching our kids, but we need to teach ourselves too. So, so, so valuable. I hope that this episode was helpful for you. I would love to see a screenshot of you listening to it, share it, take a screenshot and post it up in your Instagram stories, tag me at mindful mama mentor. And I've been doing some reels and different things. If you're a podcast listener only, I have been doing some Facebook lives and putting some on Instagram and doing some reels with the awesome mindful mama mentor team behind me. I've had some space and time to put out some other awesome free content. So if you are interested in checking that out and joining the free Facebook group, just diving deeper, you know, taking this podcast and taking it deeper, you can go to mindfulmamamentor.com or find me on Instagram at mindfulmamamentor. And I've got all kinds of links there and links on the website that you can take it further, you know, and, and why not? Don't we want the best relationships we can have? It's so valuable. And don't we want to be present for this life? I was just sitting down with my husband, Bill, at lunch, and it's like a gorgeous day here in Delaware today. We're sitting down and talking about how useless worrying is and how, you know, there are truly so many things that could go wrong in every single moment, but there are also so many things that could go right and are going right in every single moment. And it really depends on where we put our attention. What we focus on grows stronger. So we appreciate that right now you have two ears that can listen and we can connect in that way. And, you know, you can breathe in and out and you may be able to have eyes that can see so many colors. There are so many things to worry about in every single moment, but that doesn't help us. And there are so many things to appreciate in every moment and that does help us. It's a part of moving away from that default mind that is not so healthy. So I hope you have a great week, my friend. I will be back in your inbox and in your ears and I cannot wait to connect again. Thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing to spend this time with me. I really, truly appreciate it. I understand that time is our most precious resource and so I feel really honored that you're choosing to spend it with me. So thank you. And I will talk to you soon, my friend. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this you can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. 
This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 